So let's jump into the word tonight. We've been hitting the book of James for the past few weeks. I was talking with Pastor Ronnie uh, before service. As a matter of fact, if you heard music whenever uh, I put my guitar down, our youth for uh, for period of time are actually going to be meeting under the same roof. They're, uh, they're meeting in the choir room in the back, so that's them worshiping right now. So pretty cool to know we've got just worship going on all in this building. Amen. So he and I were talking before service, and, uh, and I was telling him how we've been hitting James, and you know, uh, we're, we've been at this almost a month, and we're just almost halfway through chapter one. <laughs> I told you guys whenever we, uh, whenever I, um, I got on the mic a couple of weeks ago, I said it's going to be like that bucket of crabs, you know, where you, where my mother, you know, I told you guys my mother loves crabs, right? And she will spend three hours on just twelve crabs. I mean, getting each and every crevice, every ounce of meat, you know, if uh, if you if you like barbecue, we, you know, we see you suck the bone dry. So that is that is what we've been doing here, at the Book of James, in just five short chapters, some incredibly, incredibly rich truths. Amen. And so we are just going to sit here and just like a dog on a good bone, we're just going to gnaw at it and get every ounce of truth we can off until <laughs> down to the bone. And uh, Pastor Ronnie cracked me up. He said, you know, whenever I, um, if I pray with somebody and I lead them to the Lord and they're looking for, for, um, for you know, some, some, some scripture reading and, and how to, you know, get into this life that they've just, you know, received in their heart. He said, I always send them to the book of James. I call it the idiot's guide to Christianity. And uh, I, I thought that was pretty funny, of course, you know, coming from our youth pastor. But it really is true. In these five short chapters, James, we've just been talking about it as we kick off each night these last few Wednesdays. James just seriously, you know, no, uh, no fluff, no stuff, just straight breaking it down. And uh, sometimes the way he breaks it down on the how-tos can sometimes step on our toes a little bit. I know when I'm reading, it steps on mine and challenges me. But James is literally in this, in this book just breaking it down. You want to get it done right? Here's how you do it. And so what we've been doing, we've, uh, we've gotten through verse 1, and uh, a couple of weeks ago I covered verses 5, 6, 7, and 8, and then Pastor Mo came back last week, kind of shored those verses up again and got us a little ahead. And so what we're going to do tonight is we're going to cover verses um, 12 through 15. And um, well, let me flip my pages back so I'm actually current with my notes. But let's go ahead and uh, let's read those out together. For those of you who don't have your uh, Bible with you, the words will be up on the screen. So James chapter 1, verse 12. It says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Now, that's a pretty heavy verse to stop off on, but you know what? The subject, and we're going to cover in these four verses tonight, is some pretty serious material. James, just as he says in the beginning part of this, God wants us to be complete, lacking nothing. Amen? And so God wants us to know how to walk through the victories, but also how to walk through the trials. So if you, if you could, let's just one more time, let's just pray and ask God to bless his word. Father, the scriptures that we've just read, Lord, your word brings life. It brings instruction. It brings direction. It brings conviction. It brings correction. It brings all that we need, Lord, literally, as this verse in this chapter says, so that we may be complete, lacking nothing. God, you want us whole. Lord, you want us how uh, to know how to navigate, Lord, the different paths of life. And God, we know that when 
we trust in you, when we walk with you, God, sometimes it may sting a little, but we know that on the other side, God, we come out with knowledge. We come out with perseverance. And as your word says, steadfastness with which, Lord, we will receive that crown of life, which you've promised to those who love you. So, Lord, I pray you just guide us as we look through your word. Uh, just speak to our hearts tonight. And let us get something incredible out of this, Lord, because we know that you love us, and that's why you've given us this word. And again, Jesus, in your name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. All right, so let's jump in at verse 12, okay? So the main thing, starting at verse 12, the main uh, word or verbiage or the main idea, if we want to take a look at verse 12, would be the idea of trial or test or temptation, okay? It literally says that. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. And if you look at different translations, they use, it also uses the word there, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial temptation, okay? So if you go and look it up in the original in the uh, in the original language, the word there that is used for trial or temptation is the exact same word that is used if you go all the way back up to um, verse 2. Count it all joy, brother, when you meet various trials, okay? Those are the same words there, okay? Trial, temptation, okay? So what that is, is, and if you look at it in, as it's outlined in biblical usage, just some interesting verbiage here. Temptation or trial, an experiment, attempt, a trial proving or putting to proof, putting to proof by implication adversity. So how does that apply to us? So consider it all joy when you endure experiments, when you endure attempts, when you endure trials, when you endure things that put to proof your character in Christ. By implication, adversity. Count it all joy when you endure adversity. Amen? We are to count it all joy. All right, so let's, let, let's get to that. So all these verses from verse 2 all the way down to verse 11 have dealt with how we do that, okay? How do we, you know, here are practicalities. Here are the things that you do. We talked about wisdom, okay? We, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask for it. But be sure to act in faith. Be sure that you put legs to that wisdom because whenever God gives you knowledge, he gives you something. We talked about before in the weeks past how you can have head knowledge, how you can have a possession of some type of knowledge or something. But if you do nothing with that knowledge, if you just let it sit up here like a sponge that absorbs water, if it's never wrung out, eventually that sponge rots. It literally rots from not being used and the and what it is accumulated not being poured out and that's what god wants us to do with the wisdom that he gives us that's how he gives us the strength to endure the temptations and the trials that we face so what god is giving us here is the outcome okay if you do that you take all that i've told you in those previous verses you're blessed they reiterate it okay so we see here look blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial all right so we see that testing or trials, what does that do? What does that do? What does that do? It produces steadfastness. It produces steadfastness in us. Now, look, I'm not always thrilled when I hear the idea of trials and tribulations. Anybody else? I, I just, you know, I, I decide I'm going to just grab a, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to the store. Just to Sarah, I'm going to go grab some of your party favors that you've had stored in that back room. And I'm just going to throw a big, huge party when I see on the calendar Tommy's about to go through a trial. I just celebrated everybody. I get all excited about it. How about you? I didn't think so. All right. Yet the word tells us, if we head back to verse 2 and look here, to consider it joy. Why? Because God says that when you 
when you go through that, when you do that, when you trust in me, when you take the wisdom that I've given you and you use that to remain steadfast through the different temptations, through the attempts that the enemy will throw, through the different experiments, that we, if we want to say it that way, as, as is outlined in the biblical language, an experiment, an attempt, a trial to put to proof or by implication, adversity. When you go through all that, when you take the wisdom that I've given you and you remain steadfast, you are blessed. As a matter of fact, it goes on to say, you will receive a crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Not only will we be complete, if you go back to all the verses prior, it says, so you may be complete, lacking nothing. Let patience have its, okay? If we go back in the previous ones, it says that you may be complete, lacking nothing. So not only we see that we will be complete, but we will receive a crown of life. So it says, look, you will receive the promised crown of life, verse 12. The last thing it says there, God has promised to those who love him. So let's look at it this way. So we see that we have been promised this. We have been promised this to those who love him. If we love him, now does God break a promise? No. We know God does not break his promises. So God has promised us a crown of life, it says, to those who love him. So we see that he doesn't break his promises A true love, a true love produces steadfastness that produces a crown of life. If we are feeling, all right, so let's take all that we've just said right there and let's look at it this way. If we're feeling like we're having trouble staying steadfast, which we all have, okay? You don't even have to raise your hand, all right? Because I'm sure each and every one of us has had different times where we've been going through it. And you know what, Sister Sarah, I just don't really feel like I got what it takes to be steadfast right now. I'm going to smile and I'm going to do my best. But you know what? I think I would just rather go in my bed and go to sleep. Can I get an amen? Okay. Now, we are, in hum- we are human and we are imperfect. Okay? We are being made perfect in the likeness of Christ as we press on, but none of us have reached that place of perfection yet. Somebody say hallelujah. Because if we were perfect, then that would mean we were on the same pay grade as God, and I just don't want all that responsibility. Can I get an amen? All right. So I don't rejoice in the fact that I have flaws and commit sins, but I do rejoice in the fact that I am an imperfect man reaching out to a perfect Savior who is making me more like him each and every day. However... He does tell me through his word that if I trust him and if I love him, then I will have produced in me steadfastness, right? So if I find myself a firm believer who's been in the Lord a long time having trouble being steadfast, I need to check where I am with my relationship with God. And I'm not just talking about feelings. How many of you know feelings, nothing more than? Oh, thank you. See, that was wonderful. Beautiful. Look, we, let's just all join in the choir today, okay? The choir of feelings. Feelings are up one minute and down the next. That's why God says we can't be led by those. That, and look, that includes him. The relationship that I have with God, I can't trust my feelings on that because you know what? I can feel like it one moment and then walk outside and have something hit me, and guess what? All the good feelings are gone. 
How many of you started out one, you know, uh, you know you've, you've woken up and you're like, the birds are singing, it's chirping. I, I feel like I could walk out like a Disney princess and just start whistling and all of a sudden does and fawns and, and little birds are going to start coming around me. And you know, Brother Rick, at that moment, see, we'd be saying, well, then I need to grab my 30 odd and take care of it. See, that's a good day. That's a good day. See, that's what I'm talking about right there. Okay, we can have the greatest day ever and then one little thing, we get one little 30-second phone call or we have one little incident out in the out you know out on the great huge bustling metropolis of highway 90 and all of a sudden good day's gone right aren't you so glad that our love that is that the, the love that is shown to us by the father doesn't work like that that god doesn't base his love for us based off of feelings right so so what I'm saying when we need to check our relationship with God, if we are feeling like we're having problems being steadfast, is not a, a feeling because, like I just said, all it takes is, you know, sitting in one room where the AC's broken for 30 minutes to ruin your day in the middle of Louisiana summer. Amen? All right? So what we're saying here is God recognizes that we have times where we're up. We have times where we're down. God understands that. But if I'm having trouble saying, you know what, I've been going, I've been going, and I, you know what, I just don't feel very steadfast, God. I, I just don't. I need to check my heart. Maybe not because I'm, I'm in gross sin, but you know what, Miss Sarah, maybe I just haven't spent the time with him like I need to for the trial that I'm going through. Maybe inadvertently I'm just kicking back on a chair and saying like, you know what, I just don't feel like it today which is fine sometimes, but whenever you say that to the face of God who's going, I'm trying to build in you the steadfastness to get through this, and if I'm not pushing and if I'm not doing that and I'm not spending that time, then you know what? I'm going to find myself in a place where that steadfastness level is going to be going down. It's not so much our feelings, but knowing in your knower. Anybody, anybody recognize that phrase? And, you know, we don't say that much anymore, but knowing in your knower. Okay, I can, I can trust that I'm having problems, but I know that I know that I know that I know I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up. And a heart that would say that, even if you feel weak, God can take that and say, I got you, man. Let me give my strength to that. But whenever we feel like, you know what, I just don't, I ain't, I ain't about it today. God, I'm not even about this mess. When we know in our knower that we're not doing it and that quotient level in us, okay, our knowing quotient is down, that's whenever God's saying, uh, you might want to take a look at how close you are to me right now, how much you're trusting me, how much you are walking in the wisdom that I've given to you or not walking in it, Amen. So that is what we're talking about when we say those temptations. Those temptations come and we recognize, okay, God, do I have the steadfastness in me right now? Is my level up? Have I been spending time with you like an like a energizer battery that gets plugged into the charger? God, do I have the stuff in me right now? Because I recognize that trials and temptations are coming right now. And, Lord, I want to be blessed, quite honestly. I know the blessings of God are good, and I want that, and we want that, right? We want those things, not because we just want all the goodies, but because God's offered them. Why would we not want what God has offered to us, right? So God, if I'm, you know what? Your Bible says, your word says, God, that you, uh, you are with us through the trials, through the temptations, not if they come, but when they come. So Lord, I know they're coming, so I got to keep myself built up. So we have to take a look at that because if we want the steadfastness to endure them, we've got to stick with the God who is all steadfastness. So right there in that verse, verse 12, we would say the, the key thought there is temptation, temptation. 
all right? Speaking it as a noun. So let's jump to verse 13 there, okay? Verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So we would say the key thought right here in verse 13 is the word tempted, not temptation, but tempted. It's two different words, okay? So when I looked at this one in the original text, in the original language, it says to try whether a thing can be done, okay? Running like a, like a time trial, okay? I, I was looking at some pictures a while back, Brother Rick, saw when you were doing those, uh, those, pine, those, pine, those pine derby races, right? So when you do that, there's what? They're called time trials, right? Because it's, it's a timing to see if this car can do it, if it can beat the best time, if it can go down this track in a certain amount of time. So when we are tempted, somebody is offering us a situation to try whether a thing can be done whether that temptation that we are being shown to try and do, whether we will do it or not. Look, with the purpose of ascertaining quality, how he will behave by the enticement to sin. Okay, because we realize in a time trial on a, you know, on a pine box derby, there ain't no temptation to go and sin against God. Although if you're very competitive, it can lead to sin. We're just going to leave that right there. We're going to pray, all right, all right, we're going to pray that through. Okay, but the context of usage here, the word tempted in verse 13, check that last one. The purpose of ascertaining quality, again, we said that it was the, the quality of our character, the quality of our walk with the Lord, but this part is what's added to it. How he will behave by the enticement to sin. And that right there is why the rest of the verse can be said. Look, I've never said this. Maybe you have. I don't know, okay? But obviously, look, James was prompted by the Spirit to write it. So that means that people are saying, I'm being tempted by God. Okay, well, the verse is pretty clear there. God will not tempt you to sin. Because the very word there speaks that you are being encouraged to sin. God is love. God is perfect. There is no sin. There is no imperfection with God. So he is not going to encourage a behavior in you that is sinful. All right? So, speaking in here, it's like a verb. All right? So we had temptation. Now we have tempted. Let no man, when he is tempted, when someone brings a temptation. So when he is tempted, so that's a verb. All right? So when a verb happens, that means somebody's doing something. So if it's not God, then who is it? Well, I think we all know it's the enemy of our soul, amen, the one who seeks to bring destruction. But here's an interesting thought in which we play a helping hand. Verse 13, as we just said, makes it very clear. God does not tempt. God will not bring an opportunity to go against his word in order to test your character. Okay? Now, I don't want to convolute the thing or go off on a rabbit trail, but I was looking through the Word today, and I was looking at these instances because I was thinking about different things, and I, my mind went back to Abraham, Miss Sarah, and I was like, okay, God, so how does that go there? And God just, you know, look, it, it goes to show everybody, right, that we are, everybody agree we're not perfect? You ain't got it all figured out? If you do, I need to talk with you after service because I got some questions, okay? All right, but, so we recognize we're not perfect. We don't have it all figured out. So, but I wanted to know, I was thinking about that. And look, God is not, I told somebody this a few years ago, God is not afraid of your questions. How many of you, by a show of hands, no matter how long you've been in the Lord, still got some questions for God? I know I do, okay? And so I was like, God, can you kind of just show me this? Can you just speak a little bit? Look, you don't have to prove everything to me, God. I trust your word, but, you know, based off of what I'm studying right now, and you know that, I'm kind of wondering. 
And so first thing we can say is that at the time of Abraham, and I'm speaking, of course, the time where he was, he was commanded by God to sacrifice his son to him as an offering, all right? So there's two things there that God kind of showed me. One, we say, well, look, because people have used this before. Well, God had Abraham almost kill his son. He told him to kill. Okay, the law had not been written yet. Moses had not come along yet. The Ten Commandments had not been written, okay? Now, that's, you know, you can say, oh, that's a technicality, but look at what God commanded Abraham to do. He did not say, Abraham, murder your son. God commanded him to offer him as a sacrifice to him. Now, the Old Testament, things were done a lot different. We know that times offerings and sacrifices were given in honor to God, okay? Now, I am so grateful that many of those rites and many of those uh, procedures and, and ceremonies no longer they have been done away with in the New Covenant. Can I get an amen? Okay? However, the truth of those things, the spirit of what was done there still remains because Jesus said, look, I didn't come to throw out the law. I came to complete it because the law is wrapped up in this love. Because what God was looking from Abraham is, look, Abraham, it took you forever to get that son. I recognize, look, 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 look. I realize I put you through it. I can almost see this conversation with God and Abraham after the fact, okay? Because if you know your, if you know your, your Bible history, Abraham went ahead and did it. He was faithful. He brought his son up. And in faith, you know, Isaac's asking him, hey, Dad, what are we doing? We're going to offer sacrifice to God. Okay, well, I see the wood. I see all the stuff to do the sacrifice. I, I don't see the offering. God will provide, my son. God will provide. And, and you just see that playing out in your mind, right, where, where Abraham goes to take his son and put him on the offering. And, and I just can't even imagine what happened. And then right as he goes to do it, God sends the angel. He stops him and says, stop, for I see that you, know, that you do not love your son more than you love me. For you did not hesitate, in other words. So that was, that ultimately, the, the spirit of God and the law there is, is, is wrapped in love. Do we love God first, okay? And so, you know, look, once again, we see through a mirror dimly. There's a lot of things about the character of God that, you know, one day when we're before heaven, all things will be revealed. But I, I say this again. There are things in this word that, look, it's okay to say, you know, there's a couple of things I still scratch my head over. I've been reading that passage for years, and I still kind of scratch my head over it. Bring it to God. Ask him to bring revelation to you, and he will. Amen? Amen? All right, good. That one's for free. Let's keep going. All right, so temptation. All right, back to it. God will not bring an opportunity to go against his word. So if it's not God, then who is doing the tempting? And we just discussed it. We said it was obviously the enemy of our soul, but let's look at verse 14, and it gives us a little more clarity into the answer. All right, verse 14 says this. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. So what I wrote there in verse 14, the main thing there is his own, his own, okay? Not God's, his own. You following me? So I have something right here, and instead of saying, God, all that I have is yours, say, no, this is mine, my own, his own. There's no room in the kingdom of God for us keeping things from the God who has given everything for us, Amen. So let's break that down a little more. So I even took that phrase, his own, and looked at that. And it says, pertaining to one's self, one's own, belonging to one's self. Look, if you have sworn off God and said, I don't want anything to do with you, okay. But if you have professed God, if you have asked him to come into your heart, make you a new creation, you are no longer your own. That was pretty clear in the clause 
That wasn't any little fine print down there. Plain as day. If you signed on that dotted line, the covenant, not just a contract, but a, but a blood covenant, literally, the, by the purchase, by the blood of Jesus, where God said, I will wipe away your debt. I will wipe away your sin. Look, I ask nothing, just everything. We didn't have to pay a cent for it. But after that, God said, you are no longer your own. You have been purchased and bought with a price. And that's what we were saying in prayer. That's why we say things like that, because it's the truth. That's what the world can't figure out until they've been presented with the love of God. I'm not, I say these things, look, I'm no longer my own. Not because I'm in some kind of weird, crazy kind of religion cult thing, but because I've seen the love of God in my life firsthand. I've read his word, I've felt its power in my life. And because of that, I can say, God, I freely give myself to you because you gave everything for me. You loved first, I'll love after. So we see that, look, there is no room for his own. And when there is his own in you, the devil's got all that he needs to work with you, okay? So let's look even a little further in that. We cannot tempt ourselves. okay? We cannot tempt ourselves, but self, his own, self puts us in a place to be tempted. Does that make sense? Look, if you imagine your life, right? You imagine your life as a, as a piece of land, okay? And all of a sudden, God, because you've, you've come into agreement with him and he's, and he's now your God, he gets all that land. He owned it all anyway, but now you've willingly given it all to him, right? Okay, so if he's got a light shining on all of that, well, the devil's gonna have a hard time trying to stay hidden when the light shines on everything, amen? Right? It's hard because the devil is darkness. We know he's personified by the dark. He loves sneaking around in the corners, in the back alleys where God can't see him. And if there's light shining on everything, then he's very easily seen, and God can just take his foot and put him out of your life. But if there's something that you have, his own, that you keep in the shadows, the devil is going to go flock to that like seagulls to a barge, okay? And so what happens, we see, look at the rest of the scripture verse there. Okay, each man is tempted, excuse me, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Let's look at those three concepts. Lured, enticed, own desire. Lured, draw out. This is, look, this is in the passage of biblical usage. Listen to this, how amazing. Drawn out. As game is lured from its hiding place. It's a trap. It's a snare. Man is, a, man is allured from the safety of self-restraint to sin. God literally, if we walk in him, we have, it's a fruit of the Spirit, self-control. Self-control, self-restraint. When we cast that off, sin's on the plate, sin's on the menu. And the devil is not too, not too far away willing to serve up as much as we'll eat. When we harbor his own self, enticed to bait Catch by, a bait to entrap, and desire. Check this out. What is desire? A longing, especially for what is forbidden. When we are in a place of self, we are more easily entrapped by the sinful longings of our heart. Plain and simple. It's just bedrock foundation. Again, y'all, James, breaking it down. Super practical. 101. When you've got self that you're hanging on to, the devil will find that, and he will lure you out of the place of self-restraint. He will lure you out of the safe place of God's character, and he will bait you. He will bait you with what that self is, what you are harboring, those desires, and he will trap you, and he will ensnare you. 
I'm thinking of a couple of examples right now when I was going through it, looking in the Word of God, Adam and Eve. Throw Genesis chapter 3, verse 8 up on the screen. Check this out. Now, for those of you, obviously we all know this, Adam and Eve in the garden, hey, you have rights to everything except that. And whenever they went and willingly were tempted and gave in to that, all of a sudden their eyes were opened and they realized they were naked and they hid themselves. And, and uh, uh, Genesis, I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, if we uh, have it, if we can put it up there. If not, we're having a little problem. I can just go to it myself. Okay, look. Genesis chapter 3, verse 8 says this, okay? This is when Adam and Eve are hiding in the garden because, oh, there we are, okay. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Look at this, okay? I want you to look at this. Yes, but God called to the man and said to him, where are you? So what does that suggest when Adam and Eve, and again, I know this seems very simple, but I want you to look at it because we're going we're gonna to come to the end part here and realize the truth and just the simple but profound truth that James is showing to us here. Had God been with Adam and Eve, do you think the serpent would have even dared to try to show its face to tempt Adam and Eve? No way, no how. Yet when the Savior, and we don't know why, the Bible doesn't tell us, okay? God was not there, Adam and Eve. Eve was all by herself. The serpent found Eve alone, tempted her, won her over. She, in turn, got her husband to come with her. Again, not with the Lord, in the absence of that, not walking with the Lord, because we know that Adam walked with God. We know that Adam was with God, okay? But for reasons we do not know, at this moment, he was not. And the devil took advantage of that, Brought it in, and we now live in the world we live in today as a result of it. Okay? Here's another example. If we want to just break it down into, uh, into today's terms, we've seen so many men, whether it's preachers of the Word of God, huge prominent ministries, or you know what? A family member that we have, a family member in our lives, or a friend of a friend or whatever, falling into addiction. Let me just break it down for something that's very common to men since I'm a guy. And, you know, there's a lot of men in here tonight. And ladies, you can, you can get this, but this is something for men. Now, how many times have we heard about the man of God falling into sin after an incredible time of meeting with God in his hotel room where there is nobody watching where there is nobody to keep him accountable. He's tired from giving his all in a powerful sermon. He's tired. He's poured himself out at the altars. He's tired. He's given himself physically. His God has given him the anointing. But you know what? For those of you, if you've ever done it before, when you function under that and you give your all, look, it, it's exhausting, okay? And so you've, I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard of it before. You would think you're on top of the mountain, right, Miss Sarah? I mean, you just, you saw a bunch of people at an altar get saved. And then three weeks later, you found out the very evangelist that came to your church got busted for pornography in a hotel room 25 minutes after giving one of the most incredible altar calls ever. Why? Because he was alone. Because the devil took advantage of it. And we don't know what position got there or whatever, but when we are alone, when there is time and opportunity, and we do not take that captive, and we do not take those aspects of self that the devil is trying to capitalize on and say, God, I thought I gave all this to you. You know what? Man, I'm feeling this temptation. I need to take your wisdom, and I need to kick this mess to the curb. I need to give this to you because I feel the temptation coming, and I need to walk away from this. I've known of men of God that have gotten rid of their TVs and their hotel rooms because they didn't want the temptation. Look, it doesn't mean it's not going to come. The Bible says it's going to come. 
because, just because we are tempted does not mean that we are in sin. The devil is going to use whatever opportunity. Let's continue to break it down, okay? We know that there are things, and look, there are times, that's why we have to ask the Spirit. King David says, search me, O Lord, know my thoughts, amen? He says it in the Word, search me, O Lord, know my thoughts. See if there is any wicked way in me. Because, again, I'm not perfect, you're not perfect. There are things that I'm still having daily to give to God. Things that my enemy will capitalize on. When we are in a place of self, and I just said King David, and speaking of that, let's look at another example. 2 Samuel chapter 11, starting at verse 1. It says this, In the time where kings go out to war, spring of the year, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabah, but David remained at Jerusalem. Next verse. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. Verse 3. And David sent and inquired about the woman, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Verse 4. So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. You may have heard this story before. I'm sure you have. What was King David's mistake there? He was not doing what he was supposed to do. He was supposed to be out at war with his army, and instead he was alone in the palace. And the devil took an opportunity, and instead of taking that captive, in a moment of weakness, King David ran with it. Now let's look at the last verse for tonight. We're going to close with this, and this is the point that we want to bring it all to. So we've talked about his own, right? His own. And it's his own desire. So if we go back to James 1, verse 15, read this last part here. It says, Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. This is a warning from James. This is a Holy Spirit-inspired warning. I'm trying to break it down for you guys, line by line, precept by precept, so that you don't fall into this stuff. Because, look, here's the outcome. You take the wisdom, you walk it. Look, you get blessed when you're steadfast. But if you don't take the wisdom, here's what happens here. He's just breaking it down for us, simple cause and effect. So in the last moments here of our time together, let's look at this. His own desire, the concept here, and I pulled from this, births. Births. Births means to bear, to bring forth, to produce, okay? Desire, and I wrote this next to this here earlier, even before I was studying for this, desire can only conceive if it is able to implant. Now, for those of you who have been here who have not carried a baby in your bellies for nine months before, all we can do is listen to the science of it and say, and nod our head in agreement. For those of you who are in here who have carried a child, know what I'm about to say. And any of you who have studied science, okay, in basic biology, know that we're about to say here too. We're going to break it down. We're all adults here. And let's look at this because all creation, all of what God has created speaks to his truth. Amen? Let me say that again. Desire can only conceive if it is able to implant. We know That when life is produced, there are things that have to happen. There are things that have to be introduced into the female's reproductive system. But you know what? Even when they're introduced, they do not produce a baby until it implants. Okay? 
It can be introduced. It can happen. It can get in there. But if it does not meet and it does not implant, then there will not be life produced. Now let's look how that relates to sin. When we are in the habit of self, it becomes a pattern. Look at it this way, guys. Temptation is not action. Sin requires action. I said this a few moments ago. Just because you're being tempted doesn't mean you're in gross sin. It means you have an enemy who hates you. It actually means, you know what, you're heading in a good direction. Because if you were no threat to the kingdom of darkness, he would not be trying to derail you from the kingdom of light. He would not be trying to tempt you. He would not be trying to destroy you. So we know that temptations will come. But once temptation is allowed to come in, it is not re- and it is not rejected, and it is allowed to implant, it begins to conceive. And the Bible says right here, plain as day, when it is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And we know that sin, when it is fully matured, brings forth death. Look, guys, this is crazy right here. I literally wrote this last point that I was about to tell you guys five minutes, or not five minutes, but about 15 minutes before service was starting. I was putting in my scripture verses, and I was like, and God just showed me one more thing. This, this phrase came to me, okay? Uh, but before I get to that, let me, let me say these last couple of things. Look, it can stop at temptation. King David messed up. He did not go out to war. And he had himself, you know, he, at that moment, he was self There was a little piece of self that he was standing on, and that piece of self stood out on a roof and looked out over the kingdom and happened to see inside the home of a woman who was bathing. And you know what? King David could have said, oh, oh, man, golly, oh, sorry about that, sorry about that. You know, he could have walked back inside. But what did King David do? Instead of taking that temptation captive, kicking it out, giving that piece of self, letting light shine on it, what the devil was trying to jack up and kicking it to the curb, he instead allowed it all the way in, It went inside, it implanted, it gave birth to an idea, that idea gave birth to an action, that was sin, and it ultimately produced death, okay? It can stop at temptation if we do not give it a chance to implant. Here's the funny thing. Well, it's not funny at all, I'm sorry. Here's the interesting thing. There's another story that happens a number of years later after we all, you know, if you you continue to read the story, we know that the child that was conceived in sin you know, that child, you know, that child didn't have a, you know, any say-so in the matter. Had that child lived, that, you know, that would have been obviously not that child's fault. It's King David. You know, he's the one who sinned. However, we know that child died in, you know, the child did not live. The child died in childbirth. But what happened there, even though King David was called on the carpet, he repented, we know that there were consequences. There were grave consequences to the household and the kingdom of David. Because the prophet Nathan told him, said, you have given occasion, man. You have given occasion to the enemies of God to blaspheme God. There's going to be consequences for that. God has forgiven you. He will wipe this, this sin, this penalty away from you. But there are consequences to walk out. I mean, you know that there were, there were sins of sexual immorality that plagued the household of David for the rest of his kingship. He had some sons and some daughters by the name, one was named Amnon, uh, Amnon and one was named Tamar. Amnon was a son, one of his sons, and Tamar was one of his daughters. And if, you know, for the sake of time, we won't go ahead and call it out, but it's, um, it's also um, in, in, the, in the accounts of 2 Samuel. What happens is Amnon begins to lust for after his sister, his half-sister Tamar. And the Bible says that he begins to lust after her so strongly, it literally makes him ill. 
And so what he does is he has a friend who was no friend at all because his friend helps him concoct a scheme to take advantage of her sexually, forcefully, okay? And which he does. And what happens is after Amnon does this, forces himself upon his sister, the Bible says that he immediately hates her. And the Bible says the measure with which he hated her was stronger than the measure with which he loved her. And of course, we realize that wasn't true love. But what happened there? There was a thought. There was, an, there, was a, there was an opportunity. And instead of taking that captive and going, there's no way I could, I could bring shame upon my half-sister. There's no way I could bring shame upon my household like that. He instead took that thought, nurtured that thought, until the point where it made him physically ill, to where there was nothing more that he could do but to satisfy that. And what did it do? It brought forth death. What ultimately happened was Absalom, who was also one of David's sons, was so angry about what happened, he, he killed Amnon. And, and we see that all this started because, you know, because of what King David allowed in his house to happen years before that. So that's why James implores with us, listen, take yourself. Do not let the island of his self, his own, come. And this was the phrase that God gave to me. Guys, this is, this is crazy. Now, I've, I've said this many times. I've preached this many times. But this was just a new facet that God gave it to me. The timing of temptation. Brother Witt, if you could bring back up there, 2 Samuel chapter 11, bring back up verse 4. Uh, all right, look at this. Here's the second half, okay? Now look, I, I said again, we're all grown up, so we're going to talk about this, and we're going to look at it from the concept of, of, um, of what the truth is. The second half of this verse, which I didn't read prior. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Then she was talking about Bathsheba. Then she returned to her house, okay, verse 5, and the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. The timing of temptation, Okay. One more verse, and let me tie this together. Luke chapter 4, verse 13. If you could throw that up there, Brother Whip. This is about Jesus being in the wilderness for 40 days before he began his ministry. And that's whenever the devil said, listen, if you, you know, he brought him up on the kingdom. He said, you know, look, cast yourself down, let the angels, and, and everybody know what I'm talking about, that part there where Jesus met every temptation from the devil with the word of God, shut him down. He was giving us a pattern. Amen. He was giving us a pattern, what James is talking about here. Every time there was a temptation, Jesus didn't say, get out of here, you filthy, stupid devil. No, he hit him with the word of God. Every single time he shut the mouth of the enemy and said, get out my face, it is written. And he couldn't touch him. And finally it says, and when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. The devil is looking for an opportunity. Now, Brother Witt, you don't have to bring it back up, but why did I read that? Look, why did the Bible tell us that Bathsheba was in the middle of her, of her purification ritual? In those days, when a woman would have her cycle, she was considered ceremonially, ceremonially unpure. And she would have to go through a through a cleansing ritual so that she could go and worship at the house of God. She was considered unclean during the entire time of her menstrual period and seven days after that. So we don't know exactly where she was at this point, but the Bible shows us, because God does not waste a word, amen? The Bible shows us that she, what? And the devil, oh God, look at this, guys. Hear me. We have an enemy who's so crafty. I don't want to give him more credit than he's due, but he's good at what he does. 
He waited until an opportune time. Do you recognize that because Bathsheba was during that cleansing ritual, it was the time where she was most fertile? The timing was perfect for King David to take her and to lay with her. Because he knew that if King David would give in to the little glimpse, the little peep show that he just so happened to catch because he was in the wrong place at the wrong time on his island of self, instead of taking that thought captive, he gave into it. And I can just see the devil cheering now because he knew that the timing was perfect. The opportune time was right there. She was totally fertile and ready to have a child. And what King David did was he birthed sin. And sin, when it was conceived, brought death into the house and the kingdom of David. The Bible tells us to not be ignorant of the enemy's schemes. That's why James is giving us, as Pastor Ronnie said, the idiot's guide to Christianity. God doesn't consider us idiots, but you know what? Sometimes I know I'm one of those people. God's just got to break it down plain for me. God's just got to break it down plain for me. So if I can say this, in these four verses in which we cover tonight, talking about temptation, If we could sum it all up right here, what James is telling us is because we are purchased by the cross of Christ, we know that we are no longer our own. And daily, 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 we are continuing. I know I am. I'll start first with me. I'm continually giving myself to God because I don't want any opportunity for the devil to be able to come and take that, bring temptation, and for me to have a moment of weakness. But when I am staying close, because the Bible says that crown of life in verse 12, that crown of life is promised to those who love him. If we love the Lord, if we have that true, honest love with God, not just on feelings that we sang and was so pretty for all of you that sang along with me, that we aren't just led by feelings, but by that steadfast knowledge that says, you know what, God, I'm not giving up then God will continue to keep that steadfast quotient. When we do our part and say, God, I'm not giving up, I will stay with you. God, I feel, the, I feel the weight of the world on me right now. I feel the temptations, but you know what, God? I'm not giving up. God will give us that steadfastness. God will give us what we take, what it takes to take those thoughts captive, to kick that stuff to the curb, to not let it come in and to implant. Because we know right now, we see what happened with King David. Did God forgive him? Absolutely. Did David go? Did David do what needed to be done? Did he repent? Absolutely. Have we messed up? Absolutely. Have I repented for the times I've messed up? Absolutely. Has God brought forgiveness? Absolutely. Have there been times, however, where I've had to walk out consequences? You betcha. And so sometimes the devil just gets the, you know, gets the simple joy of knowing, well, he's got to walk out consequences. That would not have to be there had we never found ourselves in that spot in the first place. And so tonight, what I want to challenge us with is not to focus and end this on the fact that sin breeds death, which we know is the truth, but to realize that closeness to God and continuing to let him shine that light on every part of us when we're tired, when we're full of energy, continues to keep us close to him, to keep those temptations at bay. Amen? Is this good? Get something out of this tonight? All right. Let's close in a word of prayer. Jesus, precious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that there is more truth and more life, God, in one, as I said the last time I spoke, God, in one verse, 
one verse, God, in this precious word has more power to give us life eternal, God, than any of the platitudes and the countless volumes of wisdom that have been written by men. But God, I'm so grateful that you gave us 66 books, God, filled with verses, filled with promises. And Lord, as we continue to take ourselves into that time of you, that purposeful, intentional time, and say, God, give me truth, Lord. Give me the truth of your word. Shine a light on every part of my heart, even as King David, King David said, search me, Lord, search me. Lord, I pray that you would search us tonight, God. If there's any part in us that would say, God, I'm harboring his own. Lord, I want to get rid of it. Because you know what, God, I realize, I realize that I have an enemy who likes to wear me down and is looking for an opportune time. And Lord, I don't want to fall prey at that opportune time like King David did. I want to stand firm and steadfast like you did in the desert when you were war slap out from 40 days of no food, yet you were strong in the word and you shut the mouth of the temptation every single time. Lord, I want to be like that. I want to be full of you. Even, so even when I'm fully tired, I'm still full of strength because of you. And Lord, we will stand in your truth and we will stand in your strength and we will see the victory won. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everyone said, amen. Guys, have a great evening.